the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, it's 920. Thank you for staying with us uh, on AM 1420, The Answer. I, the hardest part about having um, an outage, you know, some sort of a connection issue like we just did, is not knowing exactly what the last thing you heard was. So I, I apologize if you didn't hear all of the video or the audio clip that I was playing from the young fourth grade student in um, in Minnesota, uh, or if you heard what I was saying about it, but, uh, so I'm gonna kinda back up, and if I'm repetitive or redundant here, I do apologize. And hopefully all of the gremlins that are getting through our connection, or getting into our connections right now are gone. Um, but at any rate, the young girl, uh, her, whose name is Hayy Yazgar, H-A-Y-E-Y, that's a unique one. Anyway, she told the, uh, she told the school board, that she was told by her teachers not to share any of this information, or they all were told not to share any of the information on this equity survey with their parents. She said it made them all feel very uncomfortable, particularly her, because she said mom has always told her that you can tell me anything, but she said you can also trust your teachers. This is what mom tells the little girl, which is sure, of course, right? When you turn your child over to, you know, a faculty, whether it be one classroom teacher or multiple teachers, depending on how old your child is. When you turn your kids over to the schools, you expect that they are there to be protected and educated. You expect that they are to be treated as parents would treat them. They're almost surrogate parents during that period period of time. For what, seven hours a day in most cases? And you expect that. So, you know, moms and dads are telling their children, you can trust your teachers. You can trust them. Do what your teachers say and everything will be great. But then in come these radical teachers with their radical DEI, their diversity, equity, and inclusion curricula, which is all associated with CRT, which is all associated with Marxism. 
you get these radical teachers coming in here with this radical radical curricula, and your kids, who have been told to trust their teachers, don't know what to do. Because their teachers are saying, don't trust your parents. Now think about that. This particular example, this story, is fourth graders. Fourth graders. How old are you in fourth grade? Generally speaking, if you start kindergarten at five or six, by fourth grade, you're around nine or ten years old. This is what they're asking nine and ten-year-old kids to understand and to try to process. And most importantly, and you know, troublingly, as I noted, uh, wanting kids to see everything through the lens of race. And through that lens, when they see people who are light-skinned, and especially if they themselves are light-skinned, you are supposed to see evil. You're supposed to see privilege. You're supposed to see uh, supremacy. And and that is the essence of what CRT is. So this child at the Sartell St. Stephen School District in Minnesota uh, came out and, and, uh, and, and laid, laid it all out there before the school board. The teacher said, you can't skip questions, and you must answer them all, and you must do so without any parental help. You have to hide this from your parents. This is what nation, schools nationwide are doing now, uh, teaching issues related not only to sexuality, because they're being asked what sex they identify with. And there's such a, a massive problem with that alone. But I'm, I'm kind of focused on the CRT portion of this, the racial part of this. But just one quick aside on the, the sexualization of children by literally teaching them sexuality at a very, very young and inappropriate age, but also to question not sexuality in terms of, you know, sexual reproduction, reproductive lessons, but their own sex, their own biological, chromosomal sex, anatomical, physiological sex. This is, this is the other part of this. Because young kids, it is being reported more and more who are being uh, watching other kids around them say, yes, I'm a, I'm a boy, but I feel like a girl. In other words, saying, I'm a girl, but I feel like I'm nothing. And the other one, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a girl, and I feel like I'm a dog. And I'm making some of these up but to, to express the point. More and more reports are coming out that other children are then feeling left out. And so they're going home and telling their parents that they're upset because they don't feel like something different, too. And they feel pressured to become something different, too. Why do you think that the number of transgenders, if you will, used to be called transsexuals? Apparently that's a slur now. I don't know. But why do you think that that number of people in America who had this uh, mental condition um, was, uh, was you know less than 1%, less than one-tenth one of 1%, I believe, and now it's suddenly a massively growing trend of people. Is it because there are, have always been that many people with psychological issues causing them to question their own sex, and now they're just encouraged to come out? Or are they just doing it to be trendy? Everybody else is doing it. Me too. There's a book that has, I'm tying this all together, and I'll come back to the critical race portion of all of this in a moment. And the camera issue, but I'm, but since I'm on this tangent, let me do this. There is a book now that is drawing the scorn and the anger and the, <laughs> the rage of the American left. Um, it's called Elephants Are Not Birds. It's a children's book. Elephants are not birds. It's being described as an unapologetic rebuke 
of the transgender agenda. Many say it's been written in response to the pro-transgender agenda, which is intending to indeed make children feel as though it's almost their responsibility to choose a different gender than what they are. Woke children's books such as I Am Jazz and The Gay BCs are all the rage among leftist teachers and parents and schools. So now here comes a different book saying, you know, elephants are not birds. A conservative author named Ashley St. Clair uh, calls this an unapologetic rebuke of the transgender agenda. And the premise of the book is this. You're going to like this. The simplicity of this um, is uh, it's fantastic. There is an elephant who likes to sing and sings so well and so pretty. An elephant named Kevin that a vulture comes by and says, you sing so well, you must actually be a bird, because birds sing really well. And the vulture bestows a beak and a pair of wings upon Kevin, the elephant, and said, look, you need to live your life as a bird, because you're a great singer. But the reality is, Kevin comes to realize, I'm an elephant. I'm not a bird, and elephants can't be birds. You get special attention now in the classroom when you say, hey, my name is not Billy, it's Amanda. I'm going to have a little boy in November, said the author of Elephants Are Not Birds, and it's scary to think he could come home and say, my friends all identify as something else, and that's how I feel, and having my son crying because he's not put on hormone replacement therapy yet like the other kids. So it's a great message to combat the, the transgender agenda with the, with the pro-trans and pro-gay books and so on and so forth. It's a terrific pushback saying, no, biology is biology. No matter how well you sing, if you're an elephant, you're still an elephant, not a bird. And the left is going ballistic. It's beyond vile, Twitter user Big Gay Al said. I assumed it was satire, but satire, but it, it appears not. Another tweeted, the book is hate speech and evil. Another said, how about we support and accept humans for who they are and want to be? And of course, this completely flies in the face of the point. Humans accepting humans for who they are is exactly what should be done. Boys are boys and accepted as such. Girls are girls. And if there is confusion in that realm, there are issues, psychological issues, that can indeed need be dealt with. Another said, I thought this was parody, and I scrolled down to see elephants are not birds, and I stopped thinking it was parody. SMH, which of course is shaking my head. Mother blankers are going to have blood on their hands, another user declared, because somebody is daring to teach children that, yes, science is science. Biology is biology. And anatomy is anatomy. And you are what you were born as. And any attempt to try to persuade or intimidate children into being something else is something that needs to be fought and pushed. And that's, again, why we need cameras in every classroom. All right. I got off on that tra- that tangent, but I will come back to the race part of this. And we will talk about the need for all parents to be able to have complete, transparent access to what's going on inside of their kids' classrooms after the news on AM 1420, The Answer.
social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 936 as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Again, hopefully all the gremlins are out of the system now. We should be good to go. Peter Kirsch now coming up at 1010 this morning in between now and then. I'm going to get back to the issue. And, and listen, the camera issue is one that I know has a lot of different elements. A lot of people are very concerned about it. And, in fact, the number of times I've talked about this on the air and online has led to a lot of pushback saying, you don't want children being put on camera. Wow, how, how can you think about putting cameras in classrooms that are connected to the Internet that parents can log into um, and then see what? See children suffering and struggling to not know answers and being embarrassed? Seeing children uh, uh, being put, um, you know, out there for public consumption that you know may lead to other nefarious things. Uh, how can you even think about putting public schools or uh, classrooms online and putting kids on camera? And the answer to that, my friends, is a very, very simple one. No children ever have to be on camera, unless, of course, they just pass in front of it at the front of the room. Because what we're talking about here is ceiling-mounted cameras pointed directly at the front of the room, the teacher's desk, the whiteboard where the teacher educates from, or uh, you know the laptop that they're doing uh, you know lessons from with the projected screen, the teacher's workspace. That's it. Because it's not the children we want to videotape. It's the teachers we want to videotape. It's teachers like the one who told these fourth graders, hide these equity survey questions from your parents. Teacher knew what was going to happen. Teacher knew that if the parents got a hold of this, they would go crazy. Said, keep this from away from your parents, kids. And teachers, as we defined in the first uh, segment of the broadcast, teachers have parental-style influence and authority over children. So they're going to listen. The kids are going to listen. Mom and Dad told me to trust my teachers and do what the teachers say. So I better do what the teachers say and not tell mom and dad about what they're teaching me here and what they're doing. And that's why parents need to have access. So we're talking about mounted cameras that point only at the teacher's desk. Now, can we hear voices in conversation with the students? Sure. Might a student get a question wrong and be corrected by the teacher? Yes. Can we see their faces? No. Not in the in the in, you know vision that I have for this. And as for it being made available. We're not talking about putting it online for anybody just to log into a website and look into this classroom. We're talking about giving parents passwords to log in with specific direct access only in their kids' classrooms. That's it. Each parent would have a login code, you know, a username and password that is unique. And, and if they want to look in and see what's going on in my kids' history class today, is his teacher teaching actual U.S. history, or is the teacher teaching 1619 fictional U.S. history? Is the teacher telling all of the children that they are all the same and that everyone is equal under the, first of all, in the eyes of God, not that they're allowed to talk about God in public schools, but most importantly, in the founding documents and in the law of the United States of America, or are they teaching them that some people are more uh, well, what's the, what's the Orwell Animal Farm reference? Some animals are more equal than others. In other words, teaching them to demonize those that have more or that are perceived to be uh, uh, privileged more than they are. P- 
parents have a right to know that so that they can push back. And I get, I've had teachers tell me off the air and online telling me, you know, I have an open door policy. Parents can come and schedule a conference with me anytime they want. What good does that do? If you're telling the students to lie to their parents about what's going on, do we expect that you're going to tell them the truth? We don't need a, we don't need a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. We don't a sanitized, maybe that's the word, version of what's going on in your classroom that you present to me as parents or that you may present in a school board meeting. We want to know up front and in the trenches what you are doing with these kids. Now, the, the second part of this that I just, you know, this is going a little bit beyond just the classroom now. Do we in this country accept that racism is wrong or do we not? If we accept that racism in all of its forms is wrong, then we would all in unified fashion, black hands and brown hands and white hands and, and all, every other ethnic set of hands would be joined together in pushing back against things like the Dallas Justice Now organization. The Dallas Justice Now organization is a racial activist group that is actively attempting to harm white people and asking white people to participate in harming themselves, all in an effort to bring about equity and to atone for centuries of what they called injustice. If we all agree that racism is an evil that should be rebuked, should be uh, fought against, pushed back, tamped down, whatever you want to call it, all of us would unite and lock arms and oppose groups like this. Now let's find out which among us are willing to do it. The Dallas Justice Now program is now asking white parents in Dallas, white allies as they are calling them, to sign a pledge to not send their children to the best schools in America in order to free up space for people of color to take those spots in the classes of the best schools in America, all to, quote, help correct historic wrongs. The pledge says, as a white person with privilege, both from my whiteness and my neighborhood, I recognize the need to make sacrifices for the purpose of correcting hundreds of years of murder, slavery, discrimination, and lack of educational and economic opportunities perpetrated, perpetrated rather, upon people of color. If I do not have children under 18, then I will commit to encouraging my white privileged friends, neighbors, and family members with children to sign the pledge and hold them accountable until they do so. End quote. Specifically, what this radical racial organization is trying to do is to tell white parents to not send their kids to the Ivy League schools, to not send their kids to any of the U.S. News and World Report top 50 rated schools, so that these wealthy white parents who put their kids in these schools have to send their kids to perceived lesser schools and leave the elite schools Uh, the spots in the uh, incoming freshman classes, to people of color. Quote, open up spaces for black and Latinx communities by refusing to send your kids to Ivy League and U.S. News & World Report top 50 schools. Imagine 
this racist group says, if those hundreds of thousands of spots at these institutions were occupied only by marginalized communities, imagine the opportunities. We can achieve true equity within our lifetimes, but only if white folks are willing to sacrifice their privilege. This, my friends, is just simply racism. Telling white people, telling a per, telling all people of a particular color that they can't do something and must choose to not do it in order to help other people or else be accused of being privileged racists in their own right. That's the very definition of racism. This is the pledge that they are asking white parents to make. Now, I'll, I'll back up here, and I'm gonna. I don't want to go too far into this. <laughs> By the way, in the press release announcing this, the group Dallas Justice Now tells white parents, "Don't be a racist hypocrite. Sign the pledge today." In other words, these racists are telling the people that they are trying to intimidate into sending their kids to lesser schools as they see them. If they don't do so, they are racist. I mean, the, the hypocrisy here is so thick, it's, it's, it's really hard to comprehend. But here's the other element to this I don't want to go too in-depth on because I have a guest on who's talked about it at length in previous conversations. Peter Kersenow coming up at 1010. But do you know what the outcome of this form of affirmative action is? And, and this is. This is affirmative action on all kinds of steroids. Telling white parents don't apply to the top 50 schools, according to U.S. News & World Report. Don't apply to the Ivy Leagues. Leave these spaces open for people of color or children of color. What this is going to, this type of affirmative action is going to lead to is a devastating effect on the communities of color. How so, Bob? How could putting black and brown kids in these schools, um, the, the, the best schools in America, potential, how could that possibly lead to a negative impact for, for the communities of color? And the answer, and again, I'll just paraphrase because I don't want to steal Peter's thunder. The answer is kids who are not prepared to make it into the classes at the Ivy League institutions and some of the higher achieving academic institutions but who are given their spots not because of their ability to get in on their own, but because of affirmative action or because of some sort of intimidation uh, uh, tactic like the one we're talking about here, those kids fail. You understand what I mean? If you, I don't care what color you are, if you are given a spot in an elite academic institution because of your color or some other you know some other reason some other demographic rather than merit rather than your high school grades and your uh your test scores standardized test scores showing that you can handle the work if you get in there without proving you can handle the work and then you get in there and can't handle the work what happens an overwhelming majority of these kids flunk out then they end up going to some community college to try to get more credits to uh, uh, to uh, uh, you know get a degree. Whereas kids who have earned their way into a class by their merit of all colors and of all ethnicities 
go on to get their degrees from these universities with high grade point averages, finishing with high class ranks, and going out into the work world and having terrific, successful lives. Telling these parents who have kids who may be Ivy League material, again, academically speaking, this is, you know, the left's description of what a great school is. Ivy Leagues are, despite their liberal propaganda, considered to be elite educations. But all, all, all people of all colors who go to these schools on their own merit can do great things. If they go there because they are given a pass, because of their belonging to a particular demographic, a racial group, or any other uh, demographic you might think of, <clears throat> those kids overwhelmingly fail. Whereas they may have been great candidates to get a spot in a class in a traditional state school, and they might go to those classes and churn out A's and B's and have great successful lives. They go to an Ivy League school for which they are not qualified and go out there and churn out C's and D's and maybe worse. And they end up graduating near the bottom of their classes if they graduate at all. And again, the dropout rates or the transfer rates are overwhelmingly disproportionate based on those people who did not get in on their own merit, who got in on their uh, basis of their participation or their belonging to a particular group. Uh, they've harmed themselves. These kids and these people who think they're doing such great noble things, these white virtue signalers saying, look what I did. I created a space for a black kid or a brown kid or another ethnic kid to go into this Ivy League school because even though I was qualified, uh, I, I, I decided to go somewhere else to give them an opportunity. They went in there less qualified and flunked out. Did you help them? Virtue signaler, did you help them when they flunked? And now that's on their record? And they got to go to another school and then try to make up the credits that they lost? Did you help them through your virtue signaling or did you harm them? Racism is either evil in all of its forms or it's not. I would submit to you that it is. I think 99.5% of Americans would submit to you that it is. But the problem is, is barely only 50% of Americans recognize it's evil when it's committed against white people. I welcome your thoughts at 216 I promise you, Kirsten, I was going to have thoughts on that at 1010. Let's get you in now on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 954. Don't forget Kirsten now at 1010. Let's go to Brian calling from Cleveland. Uh, Brian, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob, good morning. Hey, I'm going to be a little tongue-in-cheek here. Like I told your screener, what's going to end up happening with uh, with changing the uh, entrance things to get into these Ivy League schools is the kids are going to start flunking out. Then the parents are all going to get together and say, well, wait a minute, we're going to have to change the curriculum. Harvard can't teach my kids stuff this hard, so we're going to have to put, like, High Hawk Community College on the same playing field as Yale, right? Well, you know, you say that's tongue-in-cheek, but it's it's not entirely... I mean, I can see if, if the, let's just say for the sake of discussion, hypothetically, that there is a massive increase in the number of, uh, did Brian go? I think Brian's gone. Okay. Thanks, Brian, for the call. I'll, I'll finish the point anyway. Let's just say for the sake of, uh, uh, discussion that there's a massive increase that Dallas, uh, what was it called? The group Dallas, uh, racial, uh, what are they called? Dallas Justice Now, racist organization. Let's say they were successful and they got, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of white 
ally parents to say, okay, I'll put my kids in lesser schools, even if they're by their merit they're qualified to go to the Ivy League schools. But I'll open up those spaces to minorities uh, who are less qualified to go there. Let's say there's a massive 20, 30, 40% increase in minority students in the Ivy League schools who wouldn't have gotten there on their own merit, but only got there because of the, of the, the movement that we just talked about here. When they started having graduating classes of, of 15, 20% of what they used to have because those kids couldn't cut it, I don't think it's tongue-in-cheek at all to say there will be a demand from these same organizations that the curricula that is being taught to, and, and particularly at the level of, of, of you know, expectations uh, in terms of, of achievement and success, that they ask them and demand that they dumb it down. To say, wait a minute, you can't, you can't fail you know, 45% of this class and not let them graduate or not let them move on to the next case. Clearly, there is racist... Um, uh, material being covered here, or rather, the mater- the uh, uh, subject matter itself is lending itself to uh, racism. There was a story on Fox News this morning as I was watching and getting ready for this broadcast, in which there was a call. This is separate from the Dallas Justice Now story, but there was a massive uh, uh, call for. I think it was Kentucky, a Kentucky, a Kentucky school district, for an entirely new program to be taught to teachers so that the teachers can relearn how to teach math so that math isn't racist it sounded a little bit disjointed there i apologize because i'm there's a ton of these stories that are running together but this was a kentucky teachers um clinic i guess it's kind of like you know a class for teachers so that they can use it teaching their classes. And essentially, it was a way to teach math and other subjects in a way that is not so racist. So that, again, correct answers, correct functions, correct problems, equations, um, are a matter of subjectivity, depending on who's doing it, depending on how hard they tried at it, and depending on what their history has been, what their family life is like, what injustices have they faced before. And if they've faced other things like that, well, then we are not going to require the correct equations. We're going to require a different way to evaluate their performance and their participation. This is what I'm talking about. They literally will talk about dumbing down the actual curricula, the actual lessons, um, you know, in order to make sure that people can succeed at an appropriate rate. If you think this is insane to think about, it, think about the last word I just said, rate. The Biden administration is now picking up on the Obama administration, of course, of which Biden was a part, their policy of making sure that the number of suspensions and detentions and other in-school discipline in schools across the country, that they are proportional to the populations in those schools. In other words, they're pushing equity of discipline. If 70% of the suspensions for school misconduct are going toward students of color and only 30% toward white privileged students, if you will, well, that can't be. They have to be much, especially if the students of color only represent, say, 20 or 25% of the, the student body and the whites uh, uh, represent 65 or 70% of the student body. They can't do it that way. You can't discipline only one ethnic population so much 
without doing it to the other, or else that's racist. Well, if they can do that with discipline, what makes you think they won't do that with achievement, with grades? You can't pass just the 30% of students um, you know, who happen to be white if 40 or 50% of the students are African-American or other minorities who failed. You can't do that because that's systemically racist. We need equity of outcomes here. So you need to dumb down this material or you need to give extra credit to you know the the historically challenged population of students so that they can increase their chances of graduating. You have to either dumb down the material or give separate standards of evaluation in order to, to achieve equity. This is the danger of equity, and this is the danger of race-based education. So I apologize. I went on there for a while from Brian's comment, and I'm sorry about that, but seriously, Brian, you said tongue-in-cheek, and they're going to have a call for No, it's not tongue-in-cheek. I think it's real. I promise you that would be the case if there was an overwhelming movement to eliminate merit from college admission standards and only or you know in a majority way focusing on um, their demographics their race or their identities if if you eliminate merit as a requirement of getting into a school you better believe they're going to dumb down the material or else they are going to be called racist for not uh, doing a better job with these kids okay that's a lot of stuff that's a lot of grist for the mill as they say we'll let peter kirsten now try to sort some of this out next after the news on am 1420 the answer